Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host today, Rich Fay, and I'm joined once again by Don Booth. Hello, how are you? I'm not too bad, thank you very much. Euro fever still gripping the uh, the Welsh nation into the last 16, so smiles all around. Samuel, I know you're not as happy about the uh, the European <laughs> Championship format as I am, maybe, but how are you doing? I'm doing very well. It's, thank you. It's uh, it's it's still good to to watch the games, and th- there have been some entertaining games. But yes, the the, the format. I'm. I think anyone. I think I've probably lost followers for the amount of times that I've expressed that I don't like the format. But it should get better in the knockouts. That's my hope. Yeah, like I said, it's going to get more exciting, and particularly there's got to be interest from a United point of view with so many of their players still involved in the tournament as well. And I guess that's the, the best place to start on this weekly podcast. We're recording this on the Wednesday, 23rd of June, so it's just after England, where well, they'd already booked their place in the last 16, but they booked it as group winners on Tuesday night with a 1-0 win over Czech Republic. Uh, Dom, you will have watched the match. I know... Luke Shaw was impressive again. He's the player who's created the most chances for England in the group stage so far. Of course, he only played two of those games as well. Kieran Trippier started ahead of him in the opener against Croatia. What have you made of the England players and the United players, sorry, involvement with the England setup so far, the ones who have actually been on the pitch? Yeah, obviously, I think Luke Shaw has very much justified coming back into the team. I couldn't really understand why he wasn't in the in the team as, as by far and away the best left back in the Premier League. Uh, for that first game against Croatia, it didn't it didn't make much sense, despite the the reasoning from some. I think that Trippier maybe would offer a bit more defensively. I, I didn't get that. Shaw's been very good defensively all season for United, and he's been good going forward and back for for England in these two most rec- recent games. He's he's a must to start in the last sixteen for me, as is Harry Maguire. Um, it was probably a very wise decision from Southgate actually to bring Maguire in just for this last game when England were obviously already safely through to the the knockouts and Maguire could have a ba- basically a free run at it. He seemed to be injury-free. He looked about as confident and uh, as secure as you could expect someone to, to look on a comeback from injury. Let's remember that he, um, you know, it was a, a pretty serious problem that he had with his ankle ligaments that kept him out at the end of the season for United. Um, <laughs> it was actually unusual to see so much praise for Maguire. Usually it's always caveated by... Uh, by ifs and buts, and there are often a lot of critics for for Maguire, but he completely deserved the the praise for his performance. And it is nice to sort of see these United players getting recognition um, in a wider sense outside our, our little United centric bubble. So those have been the standout too. Marcus Rashford, I think, has continued his slightly iffy form from the end of the season, uh, and I'm sure we'll get onto the United would be players in the England squad, such as uh, Sancho and Trippier. But Maguire and Shaw certainly. Um, they're doing themselves proud at the moment. Yeah, it's one of the things that I like so much about international football, really. The, the talk of sort of price tags, etc., go out the window. And when Harry Maguire plays for, for England, he's not burdened by that price tag because, you know, you're you just born that country. That's why why he's playing for them. There's no contradictions about that. And, you know, he, he does look to, to be playing well again. And, of course, with Maguire, as we've seen so often in his United career, you notice him when he's not playing, but it is good for him to, to have that sort of that praise and that recognition for, for the role he does. Samuel, coming on to you, and Don mentioned him there, Jaden Sancho. It's been peculiar the way that he's been used by England so far, maybe not used in the international tournament. Maybe I should play devil's advocate or not, but do you think that that maybe tells us something about what Gareth Southgate sees from him on a day-to-day basis, that maybe he isn't quite the player that some supporters think he is? I think it has to, because given the qualities of the player, 
and how consistently he's performed at that level for Borussia Dortmund over a two or three year period. It is a little bit peculiar and I suppose he is penalised because he's operating in the, the Bundesliga bubble. I think, was it Jamie Carragher and Gary Neville in March when they were picking their England squad, they excluded him from it, which was ridiculed by a lot of people on Twitter and sometimes think, well, Twitter's not a reliable gauge of opinion. But I think in that instance, they, they probably des- did deserve the ridicule because in terms of England's forwards, attackers... Uh, he, he is one of the best and he should be in a 23-man or a 26-man squad. And it is a little bit peculiar that just as he's possibly about to become the most expensive English footballer there's ever been, he's not in he's not in the first front three and he's not in the second front three um, going off Southgate selections and the way he's used uh, the, the forward players so far. It, it did pretty much summarise Southgate's approach that Sancho was the last of five substitutes against the Czech Republic and he came on in the 84th minute. I think the way Southgate is clearly approaching this tournament is that he feels as though pragmatism will take you a hell of a long way. And it did with France in 2018. Uh, I mean, I think everybody's aware of how Didier Deschamps coaches and was aware before then. He's not an attack-minded coach. But he has got at his disposal um, some of the best best players on the planet. And France didn't really cut loose until the final against Croatia when they, they won 4-2 and well, they were 4-1 up. They were coasting in the second half. But they weren't exactly... It was Again, it was grit that prevailed over Gaal on en route to the final. And I think Southgate is trying to adopt that strategy now. I think the players that he brought on before Sancho are players you can see him bringing on in a knockout game, whether it's Henderson to shore things up, Bellingham to offer something more from midfield, Rashford as an alternative attacker because he's Rashford and he, he's got Southgate's trust and he's played under him longer than, than Sancho has. Um, but it, it is still a little bit peculiar that Sancho has had what six minutes, maybe 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 just under ten minutes with the added time, uh, because of his qualities. But I, I do think he is penalised by playing in the Bundesliga, and that's why probably partly why he wanted to leave last year and why he wants to leave again this year. Because if he gets the exposure in the Premier League, he's got a more compelling case to say to Southgate, "You've you've got to be picking me now." And it certainly wasn't. I remember on commentary last night, Lee Dixon was asked, "Are you surprised, Jane Sancho?" It, it, didn't start and of course you know a pundit being a pundit he said yes I was it was very unsurprising everybody knew Grealish was going to start I suppose when folk when when Mount had to come out you thought well you know that that's a chance for Sancho there but I still didn't think going off Southgate selections in the first game and his general handling of Sancho that he'd be the one to come in and he was completely justified with the picks he made up top Saka was brilliant uh, it was it was the right call to bring Foden out of the team. Wayne Rooney's analysis of Foden at the weekend was not just fascinating but quite prescient as well in that he's a, he's a Guardiola moulded footballer and he looks a little bit out of kilter with the way England um, approach games. Whereas Saka, it's you know, doing things at a breakneck pace and if, if England play the team they played last night in the round of 16, I don't think anybody should be remotely surprised, even if that does mean uh, leaving Foden out the starting lineup again. 
Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they progress with that. And like you said, the sort of game management they take, of course, that will depend on on who they do get in in that match. And of course, we're recording this before the final group fixtures, which take place on Wednesday night. So there's maybe that caveat and elephant in the room. If we don't mention that, that's why, because we don't know yet. Uh, Dorman, on terms of Sancho there yourself, um, of course, you know, United fans want to see him playing. And, you know, there still is that fascination of, of being able to see him light up a tournament and being able to see him you know, take the, the whole nation by storm, really. But as, as Samuel said, you can see why Sancho would want to return to the Premier League th- this summer, can't you? Because obviously he's got unfinished business in, in English football. But like Samuel said, maybe he's not getting the credit which he deserves and which he believes his talents deserve as well. Yeah, I think I find it strange, though, that, you know, somebody of Southgate's intelligence and, and clearly football knowledge, uh, it hasn't or he probably has seen Sancho play in the Bundesliga, but the fact that he's maybe ignoring um, the record that Sancho has got in the Bundesliga in favour of some other players, um, it does baffle me a little bit. I mean, you need to look at the form of Sancho compared to Marcus Rashford, for example, in the last few months of the season, and it's chalk and cheese. Sancho hit a real purple patch. Um, Goals and assists are plenty. I think he ended up with 16 goals and 20 assists. Um, and that was in a season where he missed he missed a fair chunk early on because of injury. So I think that that surprises me massively. It surprises me that he didn't use Jack Grealish until the last game from the start. Um, I know there's, there's been a bit of a clamour really from fans to see Grealish. Um, but hopefully, for, from a United point of view, and United fans that you know they obviously want to to harness the fact that Sancho is clearly keen to play in the Premier League and. And like you say, Rich, maybe has unfinished business after what happened with Manchester City. Uh, if that's all going to benefit United, then Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and his staff will will think more power to them. It's it's getting a little bit tiresome to actually write about these links between um, Sancho and United. Now we know all about what United want from him and where what they're willing to pay. Dortmund being resolute as they they seem want to do in the transfer market, it would be quite nice for a for all of us, maybe I'm just talking from a United journalist uh, blinker perspective, but it would be nice for that deal to actually go through and we can maybe start talking about Jaden Sancho playing in a United shirt rather than if he plays in a United shirt. Yeah, of course. And again, when if um, you know it seems more when rather than if that does happen, United fans only really care how he plays in that red shirt. Um, in terms of the other United involvements at the Euros so far, Samuel, I was maybe going to go down the Bruno Fernandes route. I know he's been slated by I think it was Graham Sunas for his Daniel James route. Well, Daniel James is an interesting one because he's created the most chances out of any player at the Euros so far. And, you know, he still does have a role to play. And I know we said... It's because he's playing with Kiefer Moore, though, I think, Rich. I think that that's, true, that's, that's I mean, changing. If, if United had a striker like him, they probably would have won the league last season. Let's let's not beat around the bush. But, uh, <laughs> you know, we spoke about this tournament being big, not just for the, the those bigger names, but, you know, before the tournament, we said Scott McTominay would have a bigger role to play for Scotland. OK, he played quite well, when they, when they, although they got knocked out after the heroic 0-0 win over England. <laughs> You know, the fact that Victor Lindelof's been, you know, rebirthed almost. He looked fantastic, Victor Lindelof, and he's really holding his all. You know, maybe not the most potent striker he's been up against yet, but he's looked looked really good. And like we said, Dan James has looked rejuvenated as well. So, Sammy, what have you made of that sort of second tier of United players who, who have been performing quite well for their countries? Well, Fernand summed up Lindelof pretty well before, was it the... Was it Sweden's first game against Spain or the next game? I can't quite remember. I think it might have been when at some point last week anyway, but he said that international football is suited to him because it's it's at a different pace. It's more of a 
a thinking defenders game. And Lindelof was very good at the last World Cup for Sweden when they reached the quarterfinals and he was deservedly the man of the match against Spain um, last week. Sweden, I think in our lifetime, we've seen them enough just from England friendlies and from playing at tournaments to know that their style never really seems to change, even though they've got a few more um, quality, technically technical-minded players now. They're still a very well-drilled outfit Um very compact and they're, they're just suited to international football really uh, as, as strange a statement as that is because they're a national side but when they go to a world cup or a euros they never really seem to get thrashed and we just go back nearly 20 years they were in a group with england sweet it was england sweden um argentina and, and nigeria and and sweden were the other team that got through with england so they have They've always have form, not surprise as such, but to go further than than people expect. And Fernand was right what he said about Lindelof. But when Lindelof plays in the Premier League, it's it's a league that is synonymous with speed and strength. And Lindelof doesn't have a great deal of pace, and he's not the strongest, so that's why he gets exposed at least once a month, the last occasion being in the Europa League final when he was found wanting at the set-piece and Moreno scored. But I'm not remotely surprised that he's he's playing well for Sweden. Uh, he, he is a footballing defender, but in the Premier League, there's an awful lot of physicality, a big emphasis on physicality from a number of teams and that they're able to, to target him that way. Uh, James just seems to be in his element when he when he plays for Wales, and I think that's that's a credit to him. Um, maybe he's England's loss after all, given that he was he was born in Yorkshire. You know, Scott McTominay as well, born in Lancaster, were these ones that that got away. I, I wouldn't quite quite go that far, but they're certainly players of, of international standard, and um, that reflects well on United and that they've they've pretty much. Certainly in McTominay's case, they've made him with James. He had one full season of football before he, you know, made that giant leap up to United and and did very well there. He, last season was pretty underwhelming for him, but there were there were glimpses along the way. And with with Fernandez, I know he got a bit of stick off Sunes for the way he was moaning, whinging during the Germany game, but that that's what he does. I mean, it's it's barely newsworthy. He whinges and moans at his teammates, he start. I think he did that in his, on his first game for United. But the fact that he's not quite operating at the level that he did for United last season, again, isn't a surprise. I feel there were certainly periods this calendar year where his form was very, very patchy and it would be a case of a penalty or a free kick maybe masking his overall performance. But again, like... Rashford, he was run into the ground by Solskjaer. He was starting against Real Sociedad with United 4-0 up on aggregate. Um, he was being played in games that he shouldn't have been played in. And it's a condensed schedule. And look, I come back to the point about the group stage format. It's it's not a good format, this 2014 uh, expansion. But this particular Euros was always bound to suffer because a lot of players are fatigued because of the content schedule um since last june it's just been just been full-on non-stop particularly if you're a united player like fernandez where there was what a 34-day gap between last season and the season sorry not last season last season was last season but between the last two seasons the other last season yeah 
Yeah, yeah, we're still in that grey area of is last season last season or is it this season? Um, but as far as I'm concerned, it's it's last season. So, uh, yeah, and 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 with Pogba he, again, he's another he's another one who's very good against Germany. But then it's it's entirely in keeping with his. I suppose he was on brand that he'd have one good game, then he'd have one underwhelming game where he was um, substituted. And it was, it was interesting that even the French media were very quick to to question Deschamps on, on the, the apparent disparity between his form for France and United. And that, that was at his post-match press conference after the, the Hungary game as well. So I think the, the scrutiny on Pogba is not just confined to our little island. It, it does go beyond that as well. Yeah, of course. And like we said, there is that elephant in the room that by the time you listen to this podcast, you've probably seen Pogba versus Fernandes in that final uh, match of the, the group stage as well. So it'd be interesting to see who comes out on top of that. And if I have them, or maybe both of them could silence some of those critics who have been emerging as of late. But Dom, it raises an interesting question, the, the fatigue and the way that Solskjaer uses his side because you know after the European Championship, United will have their pre-season schedule, which we'll, we'll get onto soon in the podcast. But United really do need to give those players a good, good rest, don't they? Maybe not even just pre-season, but ease them into the start of the season as well. I know we've, we've said it's Leeds on the opening day, which will be, be a tough one. Solskjaer will want a very strong side for that. But the fact United do have a relatively comfortable, shall we say, maybe generous uh, fixture schedule to start the new Premier League season. Do you think it'll be a while before we actually see United play their strongest eleven next year? Because you know some of these players have effectively not had a rest for two two years now. I think the idea of United having a strongest eleven uh, might might and probably should go out of the window next season. They need to to add a few players to the pool of of trusted first team players for Solskjaer to to pick between. I think last year he was probably working really between a, a group of about 14, 15 players that he really trusted to to start games, and and two of them were goalkeepers. So. He needs to expand that group. You looked at looked at Man City last season, and they were the only ones really who had a had a squad capable of of rotating the sufficient amount, you know, to cope with the the fixture schedule. Two games a week. United had three games in a week at one point, and uh, it wasn't manageable for the the level of quality within the squad. So, I'd like to see Solskjaer, um, you know, obviously get those three or four signings that he needs for the first team, and then use them accordingly rest people here and there, rest Harry Maguire sometimes, rest Bruno Fernandes, Marcus Rashford. They were the players last season who didn't get a rest. Aaron Wan-Bissaka as well. I know we've written a little bit about Kieran Trippier, who is of interest to United as they try and get a, a right-back competitive for Wan-Bissaka because it's just not it, it's not sustainable to have Wan-Bissaka as your only right-back over a, basically a 60-game season. Um, and even... Solskjaer didn't particularly trust Alex Tellez by the end of the, the campaign to start games ahead of Luke Shaw. So, yeah, I'd like to see United just, just improve their depth in general. I think the early games of the season are going to be interesting because of how United have started the previous two full campaigns under Solskjaer in very, very slow style. Last season, as Samuel said, there were massive caveats to, to why that happened and the quick turnaround between seasons. One pre-season game, which they lost at Aston Villa, I know this. There's now been four preseason games that have been announced for uh, uh, end of July sort of time. So that'll be the time for Solskjaer to bed people in and and make sure these mistakes don't happen because we keep talking about United and a potential title challenge. It isn't going to happen if they've won one of the first five games or something like that, or they've lost the first two or three at home. Um, that's going to be say good night to, to title aspirations from the start. 
Yeah, Samuel, interested in that, that, you know, maybe the, the two things which are maybe criticised Solskjaer for are the fact that his maybe man, squad management's not always the best, the fact that he's so over-reliant on that key pool of players. And maybe another criticism is that he's not really been ruthless enough with some of his key decisions. We said all last season that by the end of it, we'd know who the number one goalkeeper is. We still don't know. We've still got players who are returning for loan, lots of players who don't know where they're going to be playing their football next season. There's a lot for Solskjaer to, to decide even before the squad returns for pre-season, you sense. Yes, decisions have been made on some players and they haven't been made on, on other players, which is, is my understanding. Uh, I, I wrote last week that he, he is edging towards Dean Henderson as his starting goalkeeper next season. But I'm not confident in knowing that David De Gea has been told you're not starting next season. That's that's just the feeling I, I get from it. And the way he, for, for such a tactful man manager, he was anything but with the goalkeepers last season. Then you've got someone like Diogo Dallo, who for now has been told to come back to United. Uh, they want to keep, I was told that they want to keep him, but... The caveat with that is that something could happen in August because I don't think you really see Kieran Trippier or another right-back coming in anytime soon. Clubs will haggle over a fee. These things are always long, drawn-out processes. So you could still easily see Dallow going back to AC Milan or going to another club in, in August. But, you know, it's a nice position for him to be in. It's an enviable position to, for him to be in. And, and in some ways, it's an unenviable position in that He's got two clubs who value him in United and Milan, but there's a chance that he could be left marooned, say United do sign Trippier late on in the transfer window, but Milan actually go out and sign a different fullback, then you know, his, his representatives might have to be scrambling around to, to get him a move. Tunzibi is another player who uh, is going to go on a season-long loan next season. Uh, he's, he's insistent on that and, and understandably so, given the state of play at centre-half with the interest in Varane and Torres and trying to get one of them in and Bailly was given a new contract. I mean, I think I, I completely disagree with that and I think a lot of people do, but United have made their bed there. Brandon Williams is another player who's been told he can go out on loan next season when that probably should have happened in hindsight. Uh, last October, but it didn't happen then. It didn't happen in the winter because Dallow went out on loan and then Fosamensa was sold in um, in January. So United needed him, but they didn't make the most of him. Uh, Jesse Lingard, though, is someone who you'd think is absolutely going to be sold this summer, but there's, there's still not been any clarification on that as of yet. And it's a case of waiting until he goes back to Carrington next month and having a, a chat with Solskjaer and a decision being made. But you'd think that decision is pretty um, pretty cut and dry, cut, cut and dry that he he needs to be sold, he should be sold, he, des he deserves to be sold as well, given how well he did on loan at West Ham and um, the fact that he's out of contract next year, he wants regular football, he didn't get in the England Euro squad either. I think he was only in the England squad in March because of injuries to other forwards. Southgate said that at the time. So he needs regular football to get back into the, the national team fold and he's not going to get that United. So why there's not been a decision made there clear cut, I, I, I don't know. Um, so th th there were certain players' situations have been resolved. There's a clear picture there. It's just a case of getting the move sorted and 
I think looking at the United first team section on the website, I think there's something like 35 players listed who have played for the first team that are on the books. And even if you, you know, say half a dozen of them go out on loan, which is, is very doable with players like Mengi and Langer and Garner and um, lads who really need to you know, go to the championship or go out to the football league, there's still some players there that people have forgotten about, but are actually on obscenely long contracts. Andres Pereira has got two years left on his deal and, and so has Phil Jones. So um, I, I think it's pretty self, it's pretty obvious the players they need to get rid of this summer. Um, but United are not active sellers. And the fact that they can't even come to a decision yet on Lingard and, and the, that he should be sold, which would bring in va- va- valuable, um, you know, funds for to possibly finance another transfer, is, is pretty perplexing. But nothing really surprises surprises you with United. No, of course, like you said, the Samuel as well. It is key that you know United do offset any arrivals with departures. The squad already is bloated, as, as Dom said. There's only really that pool of 14, 15 players who are trusted by Solskjaer anyway. So there really is a lot of uncertainty which needs to be resolved. But, you know, we mentioned there as well though the preseason schedule, which was announced on Tuesday. Some of it anyway. United are going to play Derby County on Sunday, the 18th of July. A week later, they played QPR away from home before two home matches, one against Brentford and one against Everton. It sounds like a leaked EFL Cup sort of lineup, but doesn't it? It sounds like United's route to the semi-final where they will inevitably lose again. But uh, some competitive fixtures there, some interesting sort of level of competition. Dortmund, you know, the championship games, you say maybe that's where some of the younger players can get, get a taste of first-team football. You like to... Garner, maybe even Medjubri, see where they're up to. And then the Premier League ones, just to up that intensity before the season starts. Yeah, I mean, you often find the, the, these games, they'll be as competitive as the ones that United play in, in Australia or Shanghai or the, even the, you know, the friendlies against the Spurs B team or whatever they've done in previous years. Obviously, they're not going to go away and have those uh, those lucrative games abroad because of the pandemic. Um, but it'll be interesting to see. I think there's a couple of interesting trips there as well. United going to QPR. Um, Loftus Road's a delightful place to go and watch football, in, in my view. So uh, I'll be putting my name down for that one if we if we can uh, schedule that in. But um, I think United just need to need to play the right people in these games. There's no there's no use burning, as I've said before, the likes of Fernandez and Rashford and. People who've been involved maybe in the latter stages of the Euros in these games, they need to keep those people well away from from the game time until the season starts and, and they're fresh again. It's about, like you say, Rich, maybe getting some youngsters, um, getting a look at some youngsters to see whether they're going to stay with the first team or go out on loan. I think the likes of Alanga, um, Shortire, or Shortire, I should say, Ahmad, Medjbri, they're all sort of in a in a limbo situation at the moment where United are going to assess um, what's best to do with them over the, ne- the next season. If the right offer comes in on loan from the right club who's going to give them enough game time and the right platform for development, I think United will consider that. Uh, Ted Amengi too, he may well go back to, to Derby, who I think wants to sign him again on loan. Uh, and James Garner, probably another one who, who is of, of major interest after how well he did on loan at Nottingham Forest last season. There's been talk about United spending big on a essential or defensive midfielder. Garner maybe um, wouldn't replace uh, anyone of those first teamers, but it's certainly an option to come in uh, if he's able to kick on from what he did at Forest. So I'll be interested in that youth element, I think, of those games. And um, 
I think we've seen Andreas Pereira before boss it in preseason, so maybe it doesn't uh, count for too much down the line. But if they can take that form into the league, uh, then who knows? Um, I certainly would echo some of Samuel's thoughts about the players who need to go and the players who need to be to be loaned out. It's, it's refreshing to hear uh, Twenzebi, um wants to head out and, and play first-team football. It's certainly been a frustrating couple of years for him since he came back from that successful time on loan at Aston Villa. Uh, and Diogo Dallo as well, another interesting one, another one I'd like to, to take a look at in those pre-season games if possible. He, he seemed to be doing pretty well at AC Milan when we saw him up against United uh, and always a player that, that United fans have liked and admired and, and thought that he could offer something to the first team. Um, so that'd be interesting in the context of the search for potential right-back signing to challenge Wan-Bissaka. Yeah, there's plenty up for grabs, certainly this preseason, and lots of opportunity for the players to, to stake a claim for themselves. I guess, finally, Samuel, you can have the uncomfortable question of, do you think we'll be seeing any debuts, any summer signings in any of those matches, or do you still expect the bulk of United's business to, to happen late in the window, or do you think we, we might have one or two for those uh, those preseason matches? Would Would Tom Heaton set the pulses racing? like Lee Grant in, in, in LA a few years ago. I'm, I'm not quite sure, but you'd imagine he, he would be involved. Uh, I, mean, I suppose the only aside to the, all that is that they, they there's that little gap, um, I think, between is it the Brentford game and the Everton game for United to possibly head abroad. They, they have got more to penciled in, but that is still dependent on government guidelines, which seems a little bit odd given that they've gone to Poland, Spain, Italy, Germany, uh, Turkey and, and France during a whole season when th there were lockdowns in the UK and now there's not a lockdown as such. You'd think it would be okay to, to do that and they're in their, their bubble, as, as was the case in, in Gdansk as well. There were staff who worked for the club who um, we, we you know offered to meet up with for, for dinner the night before the game, but they couldn't because they were confined to the... Uh, the team's bubble so that's how you know that's those are the protocols that they have to um adhere to i think this uk training camp there's some some talk of maybe united going up to scotland which is it's quite curious in that pre-seasons normally synonymous with with warm weather whereas scotland is not exactly the kind of climate um you're looking to go for but if you're training in the uk i don't suppose the weather really matters a great deal to um, to the players, given that it's still a pretty unusual pre-season compared with previous pre-seasons. But with, uh, I, th I think the players are probably due back in training in three or four weeks' time. It'll be interesting whether they have a whole week's worth or two weeks' worth of training and the build-up to to that derby game on, on, on July the 18th. And they've still got players of... Of repute who can who can be available for those games and I think what is what's an advantage for all the Premier League clubs this time is that the the Premier League doesn't start until August the fourteenth. There's a good gap between the end of the Euros and the start of the Premier League. I think that wasn't the case with the World Cup. I think the World Cup final was something like three weeks before, not even quite four weeks before. Uh, the Premier League started for United in in 2018 and you had Pogba coming back, rushing back, Lukaku being rushed back as well so they could be available for that first game against Leicester. So I don't think they're in um, as difficult a situation as they were back then with you know, needing help from players. I mean, the, the 2018 tour was a disaster for all sorts of reasons, but 
the fact that they had to take players like Joshua Bowie and Rashawn Williams out to the States just to make up the numbers. Um, And these were players who had been relegated with the under-23s the previous season meant that the preparation was non-existent really for that season. Whereas I think this pre-season they can extract some form of preparation from it for for the start of, of, of the competitive games. Um, but if you ask a manager, I think Banner of Heaven for them are pre-seasons where the year ends in an odd number like 2019 where you've not really, I mean, there's the Confederations Cup is there in the odd number years, but there's not really a major tournament of any note that's going to affect their plans in terms of getting ready for a new season. Yeah, but of course, like you said, it's going to be even more pressure on United to start next season in, in stellar form and there's not going to be much chance or much lenience and to, to have any off days, even in those early days. So Solskjaer's got a lot of work to do, lots of decisions to be made. You'll hear all about them on the Manchester Evening News. Dom, Samuel, thank you very much for joining us today on the Manchester is Red podcast. Thank you, Rich. Thank you, pleasure. And thank you very much once again for listening, wherever you might be. As always, please do leave a like and subscribe if you haven't already. Leave us a review as well if you can do. And we will see you again next time.